It's good to be back up here. Now you're supposed to say it's good to have you back. <laughs> okay, not so much. Anyway, May 2015, Washington Post had an article entitled, Why the U.S. Rating on the World Happiness Report is Lower Than It Should Be and How to Change It. Now, I didn't even know there was a World Happiness Report, <laughs> did you? But there is. And actually, the United Nations uses the report to set sustainable goals. Anyway, 2015 showed the United States, one of the economically richest countries, comes in number 15th on the happiness scale. That means 14 countries are happier than we are. Our number in 2015 was 34 out of 100. I checked on the 2016 number, which is even worse. It's 31. And our number has been in the low 30s since 2008. Now, how do they determine satisfaction with life internationally? Well, Gallup uses one question. It's called the Gallup question. I mean, the latter question. And, and Gallup asks respondents to, to place themselves on a ladder. Zero, the bottom rung, is the worst possible thing they can imagine. And ten, the highest rung is the best life that they can imagine. So I suppose that means that Americans are coming somewhere around number three. And it's been that way since the 1950s. You know, our, our income keeps going up, and yet our happiness does not. Now, now, go back 50 years. And where does 50 years put us? The 1960s, right? The hippie movement, right? Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Wasn't that supposed to make everything better? Right? This, the establishment, ridicule the rules, do what you want, and everybody be happy and satisfied. But it didn't work. You know how I know it didn't work? You want to know my source? The Rolling Stones. Mick Jagger sang, I can't get no what? Satisfaction. I try, and I try, and I try, and I try, but I can't get no satisfaction. No, no, no. Hey, hey, hey. That's what I say. <laughs> so you add to that. Really, what's a disturbing statistic from the Center for Disease Control that the rate of antidepressant use has surged 400% over the last decade. And you begin to get the picture of a people in a country who aren't very happy with life. They're not very satisfied with life. So where would you place yourself on that ladder? On which rung are you standing? Do you want to move up? How are you going to move up? See, here's the good news this morning. God wants his people to be satisfied in life. He wants us to have lives of contentment. The Lord wants us to be high up on the ladder. And the good news is that he makes provision for us to be there. And that's what I want us to consider this morning as we return once again to Deuteronomy chapter 33. So if you have your Bibles with you, if you're not, there should be one in the pew. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse, uh, chapter 33, verse 23. And you found your place. I'm going to ask you to stand. And we're going to hear read together the word of the living God. Deuteronomy. 
Deuteronomy chapter 33, beginning in verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. This is the blessing that Moses, the man of God, pronounced on the Israelites before his death. And now verse 23. About Naphtali, he said, Naphtali is abounding with the favor of the Lord and is full of his blessing. He will inherit southward to the lake. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Again, we thank you for speaking to us. That's the kind of God you are. Father, we thank you that through these thousands of years you have preserved your word for us so that we may know who you are. We may know the good news of the gospel. We may know how it is that you would have us live our lives. And Father, we know and believe that when your spirit joins your word, great transformation takes place. And so that's what we seek this morning, Lord, to live transformed lives before you, lives more in line, doing what you would have us do and being who you call us to be. So toward that end, we pray that you would bless our time in your word for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So I'll call your attention again to verse 23, the only verse before us this morning. The first part says, Naphtali is abounding with the favor of the Lord and is full of his blessing. We're able to get a little bit crisper meaning of this verse when we hear it in the English Standard Version and the New American Standard Version. So let me read those to you. The English Standard Version says, O Naphtali, sated with favor... And full of the blessing of the Lord. The New American Standard says, O Naphtali, satisfied with favor and full of the blessing of the Lord. Now, in these last two translations, there's no action, if you notice. Naphtali isn't doing anything. All Moses does here is to declare what is true by the grace of God for this tribe right now in this moment. In other words, Naphtali doesn't have to do anything to make these words true. I could say of myself this morning, O Craig, six feet, two inches, abounding with salt and pepper hair. And that's true of me right now in this moment. I don't have to do anything to be either one of those things. And so it is for Naphtali. This blessing of Moses is simply a statement of their condition is a statement of their position. So let's look a little more closely at what that position is. Again in verse 23, the word that the NIV translates as abounding, as you heard in the other translations, is is translated sated or satisfied. And both of those words are a really accurate translation of the Hebrew word. And we get this picture of what that meant. Word means, imagine that you have just enjoyed an amazing meal. A meal that you would describe as a culinary masterpiece. Everything was perfect. And so when you finish, you push your plate away, you lean back in your chair and you say, Oh, I am completely satisfied right now. Have you had that experience? Come and eat at my house. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) 
You don't want anything else in that moment. In fact, if you kept eating, it might undo and spoil what you've already experienced. So you know what that feeling is like. That's what it is to be, to be sated, to be satisfied. And that's what the tribe of Naphtali is. They are satisfied or they are sated, not with a meal, but what does verse 23 say? They are satisfied with the favor of the Lord. They're satisfied with the goodwill of the Lord, with the acceptance of the Lord, with the welcome of the Lord. That's what the word favor means. And so Naphtali's condition or their position is that they are are full of these good things. That's their reality. And the blessing is going to come upon this tribe when they live out of the reality. When they find their contentment in the Lord knowing that they are favored by him and welcomed by him and accepted by him. Now, clearly the opposite is true as well. There is dissatisfaction. There is malcontent. There is unhappiness with the tribe of Naphtali when they seek this welcome and acceptance from any place other than from the Lord. This word sated isn't used very often in the Old Testament. And the few times it is used, it's almost always used to describe a person and their condition. One of them is Genesis chapter 25, verse 8. It says that Abraham breathed his last and died in a ripe old age, an old man and satisfied with life. And he was gathered to his people. Isn't that a great goal to have? It's a new goal For my life. I want to die satisfied with life. I want people to pass by my coffin and I want them to look in and say, That guy was satisfied with his life. What's the alternative? For people who know you really well to to pass by and say, Well, you know, he was never really happy, never really satisfied. Kind of malcontent. Nothing seemed to suit him. Complained a lot. Always had something criticism to make. No, that's not what we want, right? We want to die satisfied with life. And that's what Abraham was. Why? Because when God spoke to Abraham, when God said, leave your country and your people and go to the land I will show you, Abraham did it. He got up and he left and he joined God on this great adventure into a future that was completely unknown. And when that adventure was over, Abraham was satisfied with his life. It had been a good one. Romans 4 probably puts Abraham's life in a nutshell the very best. When it says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. Without weakening in his faith, He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he promised. See, here's the way to satisfaction, the way up the ladder, trusting in God even when it appears you shouldn't. 
not wavering in faith, giving God glory, even when it looks like God might not come through for you, still hoping, still believing that he will. That's the kind of life that leads to being satisfied. Job, chapter 42. And Job died an old man and full or satisfied of days. Job, right? His name is the byword for pain and suffering. Job, the one who refused to curse God and die even when he was counseled to do so. When he lost everything, family, health, wealth. Job, the one who said, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. And guess what? Job died satisfied in the Lord. David, 1 Chronicles 29. King David died at a good old age, full of, satisfied of days, riches, and honor. What do we need to say about David more than he was a man after God's own heart? Listen. These men were not satisfied because they were sinless. None of them were. These men weren't satisfied with life because they never failed. They did fail, spectacularly so on occasion. These men weren't satisfied with life because they were happy all the time. They weren't. They knew the depths and the despair of sin, their own sin, and the sin of others against them. But they knew the depths and the forgiveness and the mercy of God as well. These men were satisfied because they lived life with God, obeying Him and trusting Him. And you don't get the idea when you read about these men that they were desperate for more life, clinging on, oh Lord, just one more day. No, they were satisfied with life. It had been full and they didn't need any more because they had lived life with God and for God. And that's the only way to have a satisfied life, whether you're Abraham or Job or David or Naphtali or you or me. Now let's get back to the blessing that Moses speaks over this tribe. This blessing also has a prophetic element of what will be. And many prophecies have what we call a near and a far fulfillment. And so the near fulfillment is that, as we said, in this moment, this tribe is full of the favor of the Lord. But here's the thing. They didn't live out of that position that they're in in this moment. They abandoned it. And you know the story because you know the story of Israel. And we've heard it over and over and over again. The question, I suppose, is to ask ourselves, do we learn from their story? The people of Naphtali were not satisfied with the favor and the blessing of the Lord. So they began to look elsewhere. And when other people from other nations came And said to them, hey, worship our God. Worship our idol. Naphtali said, sure, why not? What's the harm? And what might have begun as just a glance at another idol, a little flirtation, turned into a full-blown relationship. 
And so over and over again, Naphtali, together with all of Israel, worshipped other gods, bowed before other idols, sought satisfaction in places other than the one and only true and living God. And so what happened? Scripture tells us, in the days of Pekah, king of Israel, Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came and captured all the land of Naphtali. And he carried the people captive to Assyria. And so when they had sinned and sinned and sinned, God decided it's done. In 722, the nation of Israel was destroyed, the ten northern kingdoms, and Naphtali was the first to be carried away. And so to their land, the darkness fell first and stayed the longest. But there's good news. Because God chooses to sate his people with favor and blessing. He's not going to be thwarted from that plan or the blessing that he pronounced on this place. So now look at the end of verse 23. Naphtali will inherit southward to the lake. Now pay attention for your geography lesson. If you're not very well acquainted with a map of Israel, the land that Naphtali received was bordered on the east by the Jordan River. And the Jordan River flowed into the Sea of Galilee, and so their southern border, this tribe of Naphtali, was the Sea of Galilee. That was their inheritance. Now watch what God does. You're going to recognize the next verse I read, because it's read in almost every church, every Advent season. Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. And leaving Nazareth, Jesus went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. So you see, God isn't finished with this land in which the light first went out. The land then occupied by the Gentiles, of whose scripture says, we're without hope and without God in this world. It was in this land that Jesus would begin his public ministry. And when Jesus came, the light returned, and the possibility of God's welcome and acceptance and favor returned. Oh, Naphtali, sated with favor and full of the blessing of the Lord, right? Jesus was out walking by the Sea of Galilee, and he ran into two men who were fishing, brothers named Peter and Andrew. And he said to them, follow me, and they did. The first and second disciples, old Naphtali, sated with favor, full of the blessing of the Lord. They kept walking. Two more brothers, fishermen, James and John, follow me. They did. Disciples three and four, old Naphtali, sated with favor, full of the blessing of the Lord. Matthew continues in chapter 4, and he reports that Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Oh, Naphtali, sated with favor, full of the blessing of the Lord. That famous wedding that we all know about, right? The wedding in Cana of Galilee where Jesus performed his very first miracle ever by turning the water into wine happened right there. Oh, Naphtali, 
sated with favor, full of the blessing of the Lord. In fact, the majority of the miracles that Jesus performed were performed in this territory. The Apostle John writes in chapter 6, and he tells us the story of when Jesus fed more than 5,000 people with the, the five loaves and the two small fish. After Jesus performed that miracle, he went away to the mountains, but he sent his disciples across the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus joined them. He crossed the sea as well at night. And oh yeah, he walked on the water. He went to the other side, back to the land of Naphtali. He went to a synagogue in Capernaum. And Jesus said these famous words, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now are those not words of absolute, complete satisfaction, right? Never hungering, never thirsting. That's what's possible, but only in Jesus. Oh, Naphtali, sated with favor, full of the blessing of the Lord. But here's what we have to do. We have to examine our lives. We have to ask ourselves, self, what is it that you thirst for? What is it that you're hungry for? What are your appetites? What are your desires. And all of us here have to identify what those are ahead of time so that we understand that when we get those things for which we hunger and thirst, if we get those things, they will never satisfy us unless Jesus is at the very center of them. Now that sounds like something a preacher should say in a great big pulpit like this, right? And those are the things, that's what y'all come here and pay your money to hear. But here's the thing. Do we really believe those words outside of, of, of this time? Really? Everything in my life has to center on Christ? Well, yeah. If you want to have a life of satisfaction. If you want to be like Abraham and Job and David and die completely satisfied with your life. If you want your relationships To be satisfying, Jesus better be in the middle of them. If you want your work to be satisfying, as we talked about a few weeks ago, then Jesus better be at the very center of who you are while you're working. If you want your finances to be satisfying to you, then Jesus and the advancement of his kingdom better be in the center of them. If you want your leisure time to be satisfying, Jesus has to be in the center of that as well. Apart from Jesus' presence there, we we end up with this hollow feeling. We leave an event, sometimes even a community group event. And you community group people know what I'm talking about. And you get home and you realize, well, that was fun. You know, it it was okay. Nothing was wrong with it. But you don't feel satisfied because you realize that even at your community group event... Everybody came and went, and Jesus wasn't so much at the middle of it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Being in those events, there's a hollowness to them. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. It's all in Christ. The problem is we don't see how it is that Jesus can satisfy We don't see how to include him. We don't see how to make him the center of everything. And so we find these words discouraging. And so did the people to whom Jesus first spoke them. 
After Jesus said these words, many of disciples heard it. And they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with Jesus. See, these people wanted another way besides Jesus. There there must be some other way to satisfy hunger and thirst apart from Christ. And so Jesus turned to the twelve. Do you want to go away as well? And I don't know the answer to this, but I wonder if there was a pause between question and answer. Maybe there was. Maybe there's a long pause. Maybe there was no pause at all. But maybe the disciples hoped, too, that there might be satisfaction somewhere else. But anyway, you get the idea that they've considered all the other options and all the other places and all the other people to whom they could go. And finally, Peter speaks up and he answers the group and he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Satisfaction is found only in Jesus. Now, here's the reason. I want you to know the reason that we can find satisfaction in Jesus. We find satisfaction in Jesus because in Jesus, God is completely satisfied. We sing a song here very often in Christ alone. We're not singing it this week because I think you just sang it last week. But, but there's a great theological truth in that song. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. That is a tremendous theological truth. It's what makes us welcome and accepted by God. God's wrath has been satisfied. Now we're wrong to picture God as seething and fuming and lashing out and that Jesus is finally the one that calms him down and settles him down. God's wrath is always a noun. It's not a verb. J.I. Packer writes this in his classic book, Knowing God. God's wrath in the Bible is never the capricious, self-indulgent, irritable, morally ignoble thing that human anger so often is. It is instead a right and necessary reaction to objective moral evil. Others have described God's wrath this way. His settled opposition to all that is evil. And so Jesus satisfied God's wrath against all the evil that he opposes because on the cross, Jesus defeated the opponent, right? That stood opposed to God. Jesus defeated sin and death on the cross. You're familiar with Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified as a gift by his grace, Through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness. Propitiation has been described as turning God's frown into a smile. And this is what Jesus did on the cross. He satisfied the wrath of God. A God who who because he is right and just 
And if he is to remain right and just, he must deal with sin. And Jesus did. And that's why on the cross, Jesus said these words, It is finished. All that needs to be done to defeat sin and death forever, I have done. And since everything has been done, God is satisfied. The wrath of God against sin. The sin that would assign us to hell forever and keep us forever out of the presence of God has been dealt with once and for all. Thank you, honey. Is that all we got from that? You're never going to hear better news than that in all of your life. I'm just saying. Yes, I will say it again. The wrath of God against sin, the sin that would assign us to hell forever and keep us out of the presence of God has been dealt with once and for all. There we go. So we find satisfaction in Jesus because God is completely satisfied in Jesus. Now here's something else to add to this Naphtali stuff. And we're getting close to the end. But look, the heat index outside is like 120. So you might as well stay here where it's cool. Right? (laughs) Though it's starting to get heated up in here. When Naphtali was born, his mother, Rachel, said, With mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled and have prevailed, so she called his name Naphtali. So that's what the name means. It means to wrestle and it means to struggle. So when you think of Naphtali, let's put these two truths together. Number one, Naphtali, the name means to wrestle or to struggle. Number two, Naphtali is sated with favor and full of the blessing of the Lord. Now, isn't that a description of our lives? Aren't our lives often a struggle, a wrestling match? And isn't often the source of our, our struggles because we're, we're, we're struggling against people, we're struggling against circumstances so that we can find satisfaction in this life, right? And so the, true, the two go together. But here's the good news. In Jesus, the struggle is over. Tim Keller put this on Instagram this week. Buddha's last words, strive unceasingly. Jesus' last words, it is finished. Not the same, right? Strive unceasingly, that's what the world does. It is finished, that's what Jesus says. Oh, Naphtali, sated with favor and full of the blessing of the Lord. Replace your own name. Take out Naphtali. Oh, Craig, sated with favor and full of the blessing of the Lord in Christ. The same description of Naphtali is now true of us because of Jesus. It's a description of who we are positionally. We are in Christ, the one in whom God is completely satisfied. And so we don't need to pray for what we already have. We already have the blessing of the Lord right in Jesus, his favor, satisfied with it. We just need to pray for the grace to see and understand and experience what we already have and who we already are in Christ and find our satisfaction and our contentment in who he is and what he has given to us. Now I'm going to conclude by going back to that Washington Post article. And the reason I'm going back is I love it when 
organizations like this or places like that, when they inadvertently or unknowingly speak what is true biblically, whether they give the credit to God or not. And so this is part of that article. Here it is. Ancient wisdom pointed out thousands of years ago, and data is now showing that there are things that we can do to help ourselves be happier right now. They include mindfulness. People who practice meditation or mindfulness training or compassion training really get the benefits out of that. Scripture says, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Washington Post. Less commercial orientation in our lives. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Washington Post. Giving and volunteering can be very, very good for our sense of well-being. We found that generosity is not only good for the receivers, but it's also good for the givers. That sounds cliche, that it's better to give than receive, but this shows up strongly in the data for happiness. Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. Washington Post. To be happy, we can do certain things on our own. But people are, like Aristotle said, social animals. And our happiness will be affected if we are in a society where people are not treating each other well, where we're not trusting each other, where inequalities are so large. Hebrews chapter 10. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds and not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. (laughs) Don't you want to laugh? Because they are confirming line by line everything that God has already said to us in his word. I told you, God knows how to give us a satisfied life. And that's what he does. And so he gives to us Christ. Be satisfied in him. And he gives to us the church. This church that Jesus died for. This church that Jesus is right now cleansing, the the church of which Christ is the head, he gives that to us as a gift to be part of. And so if you want to climb that ladder, ever higher, rung by rung, love and serve Christ, love and serve others, and stay close to God's people. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And thank you that it is in your heart that your people should live lives of satisfaction and contentment. But that doesn't have to wait for heaven, but that it can be a reality for us here on earth. But Lord, we can only achieve that satisfaction and contentment by the means that you provide. And so, Father, I pray that you will give all of us moments of clarity even this afternoon and next week. As we examine our lives and, and question ourselves, what do we seek? What do we want? After what are we thirsting and, and hungering? And Father, show us the emptiness of all of those things if you are not at the very center of them.
Father, pray that you would help us find our contentment in Christ to be satisfied in him because, Lord, Father God, you are so satisfied by your greatly beloved Son. May it be true for us as well, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.